right. Ready? Yeah. Turn. Okay. Turn. Turn. Uh, Come on, up, 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 up. Ah! Uh, yes. Here we go. Pivot. 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 Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Okay, I, I don't think it's going to pivot anymore. You think? Life is full of pivots, uh, sometimes too many pivots, and sometimes life really feels like you're carrying a couch up an L-shaped stairway, does it not? I mean, sometimes it is very difficult, and lately it feels like that a lot. Um, but the truth is, is that that's part of what makes a story. That's part of what makes a great story that you'd read in a book, that you'd watch in a film. It's also part of what makes the story of your life. There are turning points. There are pivotal moments in which everything changes, right? And sometimes it's hard, because there's that famous quote that's keep calm and carry on, it just should be easy, right? But it's hard to buy into that. Like, what do you do in the turning points of life, the pivotal moments, when everything is changing? The best stories have those turning points. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Everything changed, nothing was the same after that. For the group of friends, it was, we're carrying this, cu this couch up the stairs, and then there's a turning point. What are the turning points in your life? What are the plot twists? Plot twists are fun, aren't they? They're fun when you can reflect on them. They're fun when you can hear about them, but what about when you're living through them? I have this crazy plot twist that happened a couple of weeks ago. There's um, a family in our church who lost someone in their family. Um, he was uh, an older person in their family. Um, this wasn't somebody from our Ames congregation, but somebody who attends our other, one of our other campuses. Um, everything was kind of going according to plan. Uh, I met with the family. We had planned the service. Uh, it was sad. It was hard. Even though this person was an older person, it's always hard when you lose someone. It's a changing point, a turning point, a pivotal moment. What's it going to be like living without this person in my daily life now? This is very hard. It's very difficult. And as we're planning this service, they let me know that the service was going to be at Hamilton's in Des Moines. And so uh, I got ready for the day. Um, so sure enough, last week I head on down to Hamilton's funeral home in Des Moines. When I get there, the wake is taking place as it's supposed to from noon until 2 o'clock. And I'm dressed as a pastor, is typically dressed for a funeral. I'm wearing a suit. I've got a hymnal with me, and I've got a Bible with me as well. And I walk in. I'm trying to be gentle. I'm trying to be careful with everyone around me. I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, God bless you. I'm sorry for your loss. Different things like that. Um, I see a family out there mourning, but I didn't really get to get a good close look at them. I'm like, I'm not going to bother them right now. Instead, I'll just go into one of the back rooms. It was about an hour early, so I felt fine. As I'm sitting in the back room, I'm waiting for someone to come get me. And nobody's coming to get me to let me know that the family's ready to talk or pray before the service. So I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let time pass a little bit longer. Time keeps on passing like nobody's coming back here. I'll just stand up. I'll head on out there. I'll see what's going on. The visitation's still happening, so I stand in line. And I'm waiting. And I see the open casket there. And as I'm getting closer to the open casket, I can start to see the body in the casket. But something's interesting to me. I'm realizing I'm not, I'm not recognizing anybody at this funeral. I also wasn't recognizing the body in the casket. 
I got up to the casket, and I thought, that's interesting. I thought this guy was bald. They put hair on him. Okay, that's cool, you know, that's fine. It didn't sink in. It wasn't hitting me yet. Mind you, I'm trying to be gentle and pastoral to everyone around me, and I'm starting to get the vibe, nobody knows why I'm there. I finally get a glance over at the family. I'm like, I don't recognize anyone in that family. It still hasn't hit me yet. And so I'm like, this is so strange. I go out into the lobby. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just wait out back here. And I see one of the programs there. And I look at the program. I read the name. And I go, oh, my goodness. I'm at the wrong funeral. I'm at the wrong funeral. Then it really starts to sink in. I'm like, what am I doing here? Oh my goodness, turns out there's two Hamilton's funeral homes in Des Moines. I run to my car, I get in there, I call on the phone to the other Hamilton's and I'm like, I am so sorry, here's what's happening. I'm on my way, thank goodness I was able to show up like maybe two minutes on time, I, two minutes before this, the funeral service started. I run in there, sweating bullets at this point. I walk up to the daughter of the man who had passed away. She is laughing hysterically. <laughs> and she said to me, this better make a sermon. Here it is. Turns out the guy whose funeral I was doing, uh, he was a very funny man, and the family saw this as an opportunity to laugh, and just one more joke that, uh, that their loved one had played on them. What a turning point. What a plot twist. You don't know fear and terror until you are the pastor at the wrong funeral. Until you see the wrong body in the casket. Oh my goodness. The worst part is I start to read the liturgy at the beginning of the service and I actually say the name of the guy at the funeral from the other one. Oh, and they're just laughing, having a great time here, just laughing at my misery. I'm like, no, no, I'm supposed to be consoling you. They're like, no, it's okay, pastor, you'll get through this. Oh, man. I, I'm glad that they told me to put it into a sermon because it does, it does fit into this. Our life is full of plot twists, isn't it? Turning points where you really freak out and what do you do? It's hard to just... Keep calm and carry on, isn't it? Man, our lives are full of plot twists. Sometimes people ask me, like, the stories that you tell in sermons are kind of weird. I'm like, honestly, I don't think my life is any weirder than anybody else, but I think God's given me the opportunity to notice the plot twists, the turning points. And also, I think that when you take a call into ministry, he just starts to bless you with really strange circumstances because he wants you to preach and, and get something out there, I guess. But there are plot twists all around us, and that actually ties nicely into our message today. You heard about this in the Bible reading. This was in Matthew uh, chapter 28. Excuse me. This is at the beginning of, uh, of uh, Matthew's, excuse me. This is at the beginning of chapter 28 of the book of Matthew, which is the chapter from which we had our Bible reading from today. There were uh, some people who loved Jesus very much, and they showed up to his tomb, and they expected to see Jesus' body. See, it seemed like Jesus' story was over. It, it took a really sad turning point. The plot twist was that he died. They thought that Jesus had come to save them, had come to bring them to a place of power, but plot twist, he was gone. And so these friends go to a tomb expecting to see Jesus' body, but plot twist. They run into an angel who instead says, don't be afraid, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here, he is risen from the dead. Plot twist. The text tells us that there are these two women who are running away from the tomb in simultaneous joy and fear. I can't believe what just happened. This is the craziest turning point I've ever experienced in my entire story. 
And then Jesus appears before them, and then the original Greek he's recorded is just saying, greetings. Isn't that cool? Like, it's almost like Jesus is not surprised by his power. But instead, he knew the capability of his power. How his love would be the turning point. How his resurrection over the death would be the plot twist for all of humanity. When it seemed like the story was over, plot twist, there's life. Because Jesus lives. Greetings! I'm here. It's a plot twist. It's a great turning point. Things seem to be going well for Jesus and his disciples for the next 40 days. Jesus appears to hundreds of people, many times to his disciples. But then there's another turning point. Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. He's been walking with them for 40 days, but now he's saying, hey, I'm leaving again. Plot twist. I wonder how discouraging that was for a moment. You were with us. You defeated death. Where are you going? Man, the greatest stories, and there's changes to the change, to the change, to the change. There's plot twist after plot twist after plot twist after plot twist. goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And here's the greatest plot twist. Jesus is ascending. He says, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. He rose from the dead. He was walking around with them. Plot twist. Then he's going to leave once again. He's ascending to heaven. Plot twist. I'm still with you, even to the end of the age. Now, that makes a big difference in our lives. Because sometimes it feels like the only consistency is inconsistency. The only thing that we can expect is a plot twist. The only thing that we can begin to expect is that whatever we have now is going to change very soon. But Jesus says, the one thing in all of the changes of life that will never change is that I'm with you. Always. To the end of the age. To the end of the age. Jesus' words come off of the pages of Scripture in that moment, doesn't it? I mean, he just speaks to us. He's talking about every single person to the end of the world. I'm with you. Hear Jesus speak to you this morning through the words of Scripture. This isn't just some story told to some other people a long time ago. This is the living God through his living word speaking to you. I'm with you always, even when life is full of plot twists, and it changes everything. We've been trained to believe that nothing lasts, right? We've been trained to believe that we must expect surprise. We've been trained to believe that nothing will ever stay the same. My family does these Zoom meetings, and recently we were on a Zoom meeting, and my brother and his wife, Liz, they have a daughter named Addison. You've heard all about her now. I know. I just can't stop it, though. You know what I mean? It's a baby in our family. We can't stop. Her name's Addison. When we are in the Zoom meeting last time, Addison's just staring at her hands. Addison's like three months old. She's just staring at her hands. She can't stop staring at her hands. And my brother said, yeah, Addison, she just discovered her hands. Isn't that cute? She just found out she had hands for the first time. And it changed everything for her story. Isn't that crazy? At some point in your life, you found your hands. And it changed everything. And things continue to change. You grew and your mind begins to develop. And you start to learn about history. You start to learn about the changes that we've discovered in science. You've learned about the changes throughout human relations across the world and in our own communities. There's all these different changes. You're growing and you're learning. I remember when I was sitting at my high school graduation, I thought, wow, things are changing. 
And you know that things are changing because they make such a big deal out of how many things are changing that they even give you speeches about how many things are changing. There were three of them at my high school graduation. Everything's changing. I was looking up graduation speeches to try to tie into um, this passage and, and what's going on and changes, and I found one that was not necessarily inspirational, but downright depressing and sad. There was a student in Vermont who read to their graduating class, everything is changing, some good, mostly bad. We cherish this moment because we can never return. People write songs about being young forever. For the rest of our lives, we will long to be here again. Desperately crying through the night, hoping to be young, we will shriek and no one will hear our voices that grow faintingly weak with age. One day we might realize that we are dying, but the truth is we are already dying. Our cells are reproducing, but they are also dying. Every breath is closer to your last, so make the most of this one, class of 2014. Move your tassels, everyone. What? But that's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? I mean, my goodness, I was on a college visit my senior year of high school, and it happened to be the same weekend that students were moving in. And there was this welcoming ceremony. It was nice and beautiful. But then there was this moment where the school then separated the students from their parents. And it's like everything clicked. Suddenly, the professors are tearing the students away from their family. They're like, Mom, Dad, they're time for class. No, what are you doing to me? It took me an instant to realize I'm not going to college here. That's too much. Too much change, too fast. And maybe right when you start to believe that your life is starting to settle down and everything's going to be fine and normal and nothing's ever going to change again, you realize, oh, no, it does. At the end of seminary, uh, it was about a month before I moved down here to Ames, I was having um, a lunch with one of my professors, uh, uh, Dr. David Howard, and uh, we were having this conversation about change. And I said to him, you know, I'm actually kind of nervous because throughout my life, every single three years, there's a big change. You know, I'm in a different school. Uh, you know, I moved to a different college. I moved up here for seminary. But now I'm moving somewhere and I'm getting a job that I don't anticipate to be changing. Like, the changes are done in my life. And he just kind of lovingly laughed. He's like, well, the changes in your life are changing too. And the way that things are changing is changing. But that's Okay. Things change, but there's still an anchor for your soul. Jesus promises you, I'm with you always. It's okay to have change because you have this firm and steady foundation in your life. The Bible says this about God in, chapter, in Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help us in times of trouble, God, the creator of the universe, is with you. Boy, your confidence changes quite a bit, doesn't it? When you're walking into the face of something scary, but something that's very strong is committed to you. It changes a lot. So um, we've been walking through this pandemic for a while, but there's been you know, some glimpses and glimmers of hope. Uh, I received both of the COVID I've received both doses of the Pfizer vaccine for COVID-19. And uh, the time has now passed where I can say, like, I'm fully vaccinated, which is such a funny term that I never thought I would use on myself unless there was an actual zombie ap apocalypse. Don't worry. <laughs> fully vaccinated, you know. <laughs> There's going to be, like, some, like, secret code, like, hand symbol at some point, like, you know, I don't even know. 
Um, and before I go any farther on that, I, I, I just want to tell you this, that I, I know that um, I have been humbled uh, in some conversations with people who I really care about um, when I thought that I had it all figured out about you know, the COVID pandemic and everything. And some people who are very close to me, and that, like I said, that I care about, they've, they've shared with me that they can't get the vaccine for a couple of different reasons. And so before I continue on with this illustration, I, I think that it needs to be said that Let's not come from a place of judgment as we continue to navigate through this pandemic, but instead let's lead with love. We worship a God um, who came into this world and he's quoted the prophet Hosea when he said, I prefer mercy over judgment. I'm sick and tired of living in a world that's so full of judgment and so quick to focus on the little itty bitty part of somebody's life that we see on the surface when there is an ocean of depth to their history and to their story. Now that I've said that, I also want to say that I do feel this sense of confidence and security knowing now that I've got the vaccine and knowing that I'm vaccinated. It, it helps me feel secure, especially around particular people. In the past 15 months, um, I had only seen my grandma householder once. Now that's peculiar because my grandma, she lives just like five minutes away from my parents. I grew up seeing her all the time. But because of the COVID pandemic, I, I couldn't risk seeing her. It was scary. It was frightening. But when the time came that she was fully vaccinated and I was fully vaccinated, that hug was so special. Because there was something that like went into our bodies, right? This vaccine that cannot help. It is programmed to be committed to our immune system. And it's stronger than this disease. And so there's this new sense of confidence when you have something that is both strong and committed to you. It gives you this sense of fearlessness, not like wild and foolish fearlessness, but real courage, real reason to have confidence. And so for me, when I hug my grandma now, I feel that confidence and I feel that assurance. And the things that I had to be afraid of before no longer scare me. That's what you have in Christ. You have this God who is uncontainably powerful. And yet he's also infinitely committed to you. Jesus claims this power. Jesus is not subtle about his power. Read this about what he says about himself. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says in Matthew 28. You heard this in the Bible reading today. I mean, he's taking that place. I am God. I have power over everything. I can do whatever I want. Incredible strength. And yet here's how he uses it. He uses it instead in service. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians when he reflects over this infinite power that is immeasurably committed to him. He says, I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is an uncontainable power that has immeasurable strength that is infinitely in love with you and committed to you until the end of the age. And that ought to give you a sense of confidence. That's true fearlessness. It's not foolish. It's courageous. Set in a steady, firm foundation. In Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen he has a brief story in the Bible, but Stephen is preaching a sermon for his life. 
He's preaching in front of these uh, Jewish, religi- Jewish religious officials, and he's trying to tell them about Jesus, and his sermon, by all accounts and purposes, I mean, it's, it's going well. Like, he's saying everything right. He's telling them that God has shown up in the flesh as Jesus Christ, and he died and he rose from the dead. It is not about us finding a way to get to him, but instead our entire life and existence and our story now is about this turning point where God came to us. And he defeated death so that God could spend forever with us. It's not about what we can do. He's preaching this sermon. He's giving it all that he's got. And if he doesn't convince the Jewish leaders that that this is true, that God is real, that God has come in the flesh and the form in in Jesus Christ, they're going to kill him. And even though Stephen's saying everything right, these Jewish leaders and officials who are very high and, uh, and, and mighty with their, with, their, uh, with their rules and their laws and about what they can do to get to God, they're not happy about what Stephen's saying. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that Stephen is not going to save himself. That they're going to kill him. But he doesn't freak out. He remains fearless. He kept his courage. It says that he gazes steadily into heaven when he knows what's going to happen to him. And he saw the glory of God. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then as Stephen is lying on the ground, dying from his beating, he cries out, God, don't, uh, don't charge them. With this sin. How did he do that? How did Stephen see the people in front of him who are condemning him, taking his life away? It wasn't just that it seemed like his life was falling apart, his life was falling apart. He was losing it. How did he keep courage? He saw the king sitting on the throne of the universe and he recognized him. He knew that king because that king was in love with Stephen. He was infinitely committed to Stephen. He said, I don't care who condemns me. The king of creation loves me and died for me. So even though I go into this place of disaster now, I'm not afraid. His story was changing, but Jesus was with him. This will change everything in your life. See, Stephen, he wasn't shaking because he had a firm and steady foundation. What's your foundation? I think the greatest temptation in my life is to make my foundation something that was not made to support me. Way too many times in my life, I put all my weight on something that was not made to support my life. Sometimes it's good things, but it still wasn't made to support me, my entire existence. A few weeks ago, I woke up and uh, just kind of like, you know, walking tired and stuff, not really noticing the things around me. I, I stepped on a really small little wood chip. And uh, that little small little wood chip, it, it broke off and the tiniest little splinter pierced right into the bottom of my foot. And, you know, that feeling, like, first off, you're excruciating. Ah! You know, 
start, why did I do that? But then it's like, okay, time to get to work. I go down, I sit down on the couch, I try to lift my foot up, and I'm looking down at it, I'm trying to get it up for 45 minutes. I cannot get this thing out. But I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll just put on the softest shoes that I have, and I'll just go through the day, I'll be fine. I tried again in the afternoon, it wasn't working. Still couldn't get this thing out. I was trying everything. By the time that night came, it wasn't just like this little irritation in my foot. It was every like 10 steps or so, it was like a, ah, you know. Oh, wince. I preached at Kairos, our college ministry that night, and I think like I gave out 20 hallelujahs just because I was trying to cover up my pain. Like, Jesus loves you. Hallelujah! <laughs> By the time that I woke up the next morning, when I even put like a pound of weight on, I'm like, oh, you know. So I sit down, I'm like pinching it, I'm like getting the tweezers, I'm just trying everything I can. Eventually I get a knife out, I'm like, Abby, I'm going to do this. And she goes, you need to call a doctor, you know. So uh, there's a doctor in our church, Dr. Erin Nelson. You see her read the Bible reading all the time. She's got a, uh, a foot and ankle clinic here in Ames. And so their, their staff was so nice to me. I called them like, okay, so here's the situation. Uh, I, I got a boo-boo. No, I'm not a child, <laughs> you know. No, this isn't for a child of mine. This is for me, you know. I walk in. I'm like, yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm the one I, I called in about the splinter. Uh, meanwhile, there's a teenager who walks out of one of the rooms in crutches and a cast around her ankle. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in for something else, you know. <laughs> um, I, I go into the room, and, and Dr. Nelson, she was so nice to me. She was like, no, like, this happens. Like, this is, like, believe me, yeah, this happens all the time. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, this hurts so bad. She gets it out, and she goes, oh, there's that little guy, you know. <laughs> you know, and then eventually I'm like, hey, can I see it? And she turns around, and she's like, oh, it's, it was too small. I lost it, you know. <laughs> it's like a millimeter in size, right? And the funny thing is, is you could throw that tiny little splinter at me as hard as you possibly could. You could chuck it at me, and it wouldn't hurt me. But because I tried to stand on it and put all of my weight on it, it pierced me. When you put all of your weight on something that wasn't meant to be your foundation, it can't stand up to the task. It either breaks and you fall, or it pierces you, and it hurts. Listen, it's not those things' fault, necessarily. It's not that person's fault. They weren't made to carry the weight of your soul, your existence. Meanwhile, if you, if you take this concrete block and you throw this at me, it would crush me, right? Like, please don't do that, but if it's my foundation, it can support me. This was made to support me. So again, let me ask you, what's your foundation? When things are changing, when the plot twists are overwhelming, what do you stand on? Is it just a good thing? Has a good thing in your life become your ultimate thing? No matter how good it is, if it's not God, it wasn't made to support your soul. Jesus, Jesus came to earth to be your foundation. Stephen trusted the God who loved him and died for him. Stephen knew that Jesus was the only one strong enough to support his entire existence. And so when everything was changing, when the plot was twisting, his foundation was secure.
Because Jesus promised him, I'm with you always. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus promises this to you. And he is faithful to his word. He is with you always. So how do you see it? How do you see it? How do you know that? Because you hear Jesus say this. Let's look at it again. Jesus says, I am with you always. In Matthew chapter 28, he says that. Be sure of this. I am with you always. And we hear that, but sometimes we still don't see God. It doesn't feel like God's with us, does it? No matter how many times you hear that, why doesn't it feel like Jesus is with me yet? Why am I not seeing God? Why am I not hearing his voice? Why don't I feel any more comfort? I think part of it has to do with the way that Jesus says this. Jesus says, I am with you always. And again, when we read this in the Greek, the way that it's recorded, he's using a plural form of the word you. In English, we don't have a proper plural form of the word you. Unless you're from Texas, you can say y'all. But Jesus is saying to a group of people, I'm with all of you. And then he says to the end of the age. So he's saying, I'm with all people in all of history. I'm with you all. I read recently that 80% of people who identify as Christians in the United States say that they don't need a community or a church family to feel connected with God. I I don't think Jesus lets us get away with that. And I know I'm preaching in the choir here because you're here. You're, you're, You're part of the church family. But do people know you? Like, I I get it. We hear, like, Jesus saying, I'm with you always, and we think that it's just this one-on-one intimate thing. And yes, it is very intimate with God, the relationship that he wants to have with us. But it's so intimate that God wants to show up even in your relationships with the people around you. And until you start to see that God is not just with you, but with us, we're not going to get to know Jesus, our foundation, and hear his voice and feel his presence as we could unless we're around people. Unless we have church family, unless we have community with one another. Think about it like this. Every single object uh, looks different from a different angle, right? And the more different perspectives that we can get, the better of an understanding we can have of that particular object. Uh, Think about it when it comes to people. Again, in those Zoom meetings, right? So like there's Addison who's now in our family and she showed up and none of us knew Addison before. I knew my parents for a very long time. I know my parents very, very well. I've got a great relationship. They love me. They care about me. But now that Addison has shown up, I'm seeing a new side to my parents that I have never seen in my life. I'm seeing a kind of love I've never seen. I'm hearing my dad make noises I've never heard him make before. I'm seeing my mom just weeping for no reason whatsoever other than seeing her granddaughter, right? And those of you who are grandparents are like, you'll get it. You'll understand someday if you don't, right? You know, it's, it's true. I've known my sister for so long. I've known my sister for her entire life. She'll be 27 at the end of this month. I've known her for 27 years. But if it weren't for my brother, I'd never know the kind of laugh that she expresses when he tells a joke. If it wasn't for Christy, I'd never see John think and ponder over the deep questions of life that Christy asks. My wife, Abby, I've known her for seven years. She had a friend over at our place recently, and there's like this certain smile that this friend brings out of Abby that I've never seen before, and I just love it. And if it weren't for that friend, I I wouldn't see it. If it's true with people, how much truer is it with Jesus? Every object is different from different perspectives. 
And the truth is, is that if you don't spend time with people, there are pieces of Jesus that you'll never experience. And here's the other side of that. Jesus is calling you to show him to others. Pieces of himself that they will never see if you don't love him. He's choosing to reveal himself through you. Be sure of this. I'm with y'all. All of you. Always. He's with us. It's not just this intimate. I mean, it is intimate, right? We hear like, I'm with you always. We think like, okay, well, Jesus is with me when I wake up in the morning. He's with me when I go to work. He's with me when I go to school. Jesus is with me if I go to the bad places. Jesus is with me if I go to a place like Iowa City. He's there, right? You know, God forbid if I have to. You know, no, I'm kidding. He's there. Jesus is with you, yes, but he's with us. And that kind of changes the mission that Jesus sends us on, doesn't it? I mean, he says in this passage, he says, go. Go and make disciples. He's not saying, go to a place where I'm not. Go to those places so that they know that I'm with them. Go to those places and you will see that I'm with them. Go to those places and they will know me better because of you. Go to those places and you will know me better because of them. Go. Go. We got brothers and sisters all around this world that need help. They're having plot twists, turning points all over the place in their story. And for some of them, it seems like their story is never going to get any better. What if we don't go? What if we don't do something all the way across the world? In India right now, like I said at the beginning of this service, they're having a COVID pandemic like we never experienced in the United States. In Lutheran Church of Hope, we're there. We partner with Convoy of Hope. I want you to know, you are there in India fighting this. Because the way that you support, because the way that you care, because the way that you love for people that you'll never meet. At least this side of heaven. There's tragedy that happens daily at the border where children are separated from their families. We're there too. We, we support YWAM. We're partners with them. And they're there ministering to these children who are living in horror and fear right now. Sex trafficking is everywhere in the world. It's in our own backyard here in Ames. And so we go. We've partnered with an organization called Wings of Refuge and other local partners that are a part of fighting sex trafficking. Because this is what Jesus calls us to do. There's a responsibility that we join people in their sorrow, that we join people in their celebrations, and that we let them into our lives too. We go, not to a place to bring Jesus there, but go to a place where Jesus is already working so that we can be a part of it. I wore a bracelet on my wrist for eight years that said, what would Jesus do? It was one of those WWJD bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? The only reason why I don't have it on anymore is because one day it just finally snapped off. It was starting to smell really bad and everything. Literally hadn't taken it off in eight years. And also, if I ever get another one, I'll wear it. You know, I, I really like it. I'm all about it. I think it's a great question to ask. What would Jesus do? Perhaps an even better question, question though, is Jesus, what are you already doing? How can I be a part of it? You want to see God working in your life? You want to hear his voice? You want to feel his presence? Get with his people. Join the stories. Know their plot twists. Don't just know about their plot twists. Don't just know generally speaking. I bet they're going through hard times. Know their plot twists. Know their turning points. Remind them how this ends. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm with you always. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age.
even to the end of the age. How important is that for us to hear? Somewhere along the line in the 21st century, happily ever after has got like this really bad reputation, right? Like we started to say those are children's stories. So they started to get punished at the award shows, never to win an award again. That's just childish. Well, I think that maybe we think that because we stopped believing that they were possible. Because we believe that the only thing that's consistent in this life is the inconsistency. So even if something happy happens, it's just going to go away. But Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, you've heard me talk about the resurrection of Jesus. You've heard other pastors talk about the resurrection of Jesus. If you've ever stepped in foot in a church before, if you've ever heard a Christian message before, you've heard someone's interpretation about the resurrection of Jesus. But here is Jesus telling his interpretation of the resurrection of Jesus. that in the end of everything Jesus is there through all the twists and turns the rising action the climaxes the falling action the sequels the final page it says I'm there Jesus says, happily ever afters are real. You know, I got to that funeral and I made a total fool of myself. And after the service, um, I had some, you know, significant conversations with family members. But then there was someone who was not a family member. I, I, to this moment, I still don't know who she was. She came out of one of the back rooms. She wasn't the funeral director. I, I really, again, I'm not sure who she was. She was an older woman. And she came up to me. She said, hey, nice job. I'm like, oh, thanks, you know. And I was like, yeah, thanks. I, you know, I tried to recover. I mean, when you show up to the funeral with the wrong body, you realize, oh, he's not here. And she said, yeah, well, he was. He wasn't here either. Hmm. Someday my body is going to lie in a casket or uh, my ashes will be in a box. But my soul will be supported. And Jesus will come again to raise the living and the dead. The world tells us fairy tales aren't real. Jesus says, yes, they are. He says, I am the happily ever after. I am the love you've been seeking. I am the approval you desire. I am the security you've wanted for so long. And through every twist and turn, and at the end of the story, I'm with you always. Go ahead and close your eyes for a moment.
And if it doesn't hurt too much, I'd like you to imagine a moment in your life where you felt more alone than any other time. And I know that for some of you, that moment might be right now. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus' spirit is gentle, and so sometimes, sometimes we don't notice him because he's extraordinarily ordinary. He shows up in the mundane places. He refuses to let you be alone. Remember when you'd run up to your room and you'd slam the door and you wish you'd just push the world out? But deep down, you wanted someone to knock on the door and say, I'm here. Whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm here. One day you will have the courage to open the door and to your great surprise, the king of the universe will be sitting on his throne and you will gaze steadily at him. I see the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is my ending. He is my forever. The changes keep coming. The changes keep changing. But that's okay. Because Jesus, you're with us always. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing about following Jesus anywhere. Because he's with you.